history has repeated itself. The Taliban is back in power in Afghanistan and the prospects for Afghanistan's women and girls are at a critical juncture. As the Pakistan-backed Taliban confirmed that it has entered Kabul, the editor of Tolo News in Afghanistan today shared pictures of how photos of women outside a shop in Kabul were being painted over. Is this an early sign that some of the rights won by Afghan women over the past 20 years since the hardline militant movement was toppled could be reversed? If so, what does the international community need to do to ensure that the women and girls of Afghanistan are not abandoned as a political settlement is worked out on the ground? Remember, when they last ruled Afghanistan from 1996 to 2001, women could not work, girls were not allowed to attend school and women had to cover their faces and be accompanied by a male relative if they wanted to venture out of their homes. Women who broke the rules sometimes suffered humiliation and public beatings by the Taliban's religious police under the group's strict interpretation of Islamic law. So joining us on the show from, uh, for tonight from Washington, D.C., Lisa Curtis, director of the Indo-Pacific Security Program at the Center for a New American Security, Heather Brar, associate director of, women, of the Women's Rights Division, a former Afghan researcher at Human Rights Watch. We have uh, Mariam Vardak, founder of Her Afghanistan, and Nishta Satyam, deputy co country representative at UN Women India. I want to start though first with Aziza Sadat and Pashtana Zalmi. They are joining us from Afghanistan. I'm not going to say from where in Afghanistan for their own safety and security. Okay, Ms. Pashtani, you were saying that your work was already uh, curtailed. Pashtani Durani? Yes, yes, Pashtana Durani. So our work is already challenged in South Asia and Central Asia. Works, a work like this is already challenged. But the point here is that right now it's challenged to in a sense where Taliban are claiming that they will let the girls study. But then I question them, what are you going to let them study, right? Because in the past they have claimed that they let the girls study, but then it's again Islamic studies, religious studies. That wouldn't make them like, you know, uh, what do we call it, professionals, right? Uh, religious studies is part of our upbringing every afghan has to go through that who's a muslim who's who is brought up in an afghan household right so my question here is what sort of uh, studies and also about women rights what political rights do we have right now what social rights do we have right now what is the mobility that we can access right so all these questions they make me want to like you know ask them again and again and the work that we have been doing of course it's challenged and it has been challenged in the past but it's challenged right now in a sense where it can be stopped any minute and for, and miss durani what is what is the atmosphere the mood right now on the ground for women like you who've been working uh, you've chosen to work in this field of uh, ensuring education for uh, Afghan girls in rural areas specifically. But the mood right now from where you see around you, the mood in Kabul and other parts of Afghanistan. People are scared. People are trying to flee. People are trying to uh, stay at homes. They want to get all their uh, belongings and leave the country as soon as possible. Nobody wants to leave under uh, an environment which is suffocating, right? People are saying, okay, it's a, it was a peaceful transition. I mean, like in 21st century, you shouldn't be expecting so much bloodshed, right? Not that it was right in the past, but right now we should be talking humanely. We should be talking more diplomatically. But the whole point here is, 
post this transition what the future awaits us that's more uh, of an issue and people are scared of it people are scared to think of it and i being the one person who always plans i i don't want to think about it at all so a sense of fear and dread about what the future is going to bring the taliban has uh, as they have in talks with the us and the international community their leadership has hinted at an openness to changing policies they've claimed that women will be able to part- participate in public life if it comes to power uh, the taliban spokesperson has re- dismissed as rubbish and baseless propaganda reports that women will be forced into marriages with you know uh, taliban officers etc etc but the question is can the taliban be trusted especially since they clearly have an upper hand on the ground given their swift takeover they have no need to accommodate anyone on the ground so can the taliban be trusted to those words um we don't have any choice at this point but to do the best we can to try to hold them to the the commitments that they've made um whether or not there's any basis to trust them um i i think it's not a secret that um first of all their actions on the ground have often not reflected some of these somewhat more open-minded statements they've right. made about women's rights second of all even at their best their statements do not reflect gender equality by any means or afghanistan's obligations under international law um but right now all we can do is is try to mobilize the international community to insist that they um that they respect women and girls So this is not the time to step back this is actually the time to come forward and speak for women's rights uh, in Afghanistan but Heather um you know let me ask you the achievements made by women in the past 20 years right since the Taliban's ouster yes they are incremental but they're meaningful because it is still a deeply conservative male dominated society we've seen uh, images of girls in school uh, women in parliament in government and in business so is the world uh, overreacting in a sense what i mean is can these gains be so quickly nullified um yes of course they can be nullified by a by a, an abusive dictatorship which may well be um what's being put in place in afghanistan right now of course women's rights can be rolled back i mean the achievements of afghan women and girls over the last 20 years are are extraordinary and have come through incredible hard work the support of the international community was important but it's mostly come from the work of women and girls but if the taliban is determined to put their foot on the neck of women um there's not a lot that can be done especially if the international community is ready to look away which they too often have done Lisa Curtis uh, uh will the international community look away US president Joe Biden has called the end of America's longest war an accomplishment but as you can hear from uh, Pashtani and Aziza there's a sense of dread that's omnipresent especially among uh, women as the Taliban forces have you know routed completely taken over the country can the US absolve itself of this reality on the ground right now absolutely not uh it's not an accomplishment uh it's a catastrophe um i think is we just heard uh, prime minister modi say on this day of indian independence uh you have afghanistan who's lost its independence lost any hope uh for the future of uh democracy in its country so this this is a, a tragic catastrophic day for afghanistan and it is the us moral responsibility to continue to stand up for women's rights um women's participation in the life of the country education healthcare 
um, all of those problems that we saw under the Taliban, we, we saw that women were not able to get the health care they needed. They didn't go to school. Uh, mortality rates were higher. Uh, really uh, awful stories. So until the Taliban proves that they've changed, I don't think we should take them at face value. We should uh, insist that um, that these things happen. If, if uh, there's any hope of uh, the Taliban engaging with the international community. So the U.S. should lead an effort. Uh, we can uh, work with the U.N. The U.N. Security Council can certainly mobilize, uh, speak out on this issue, uh, condition future, any future assistance to Afghanistan on uh, respecting the rights of women. Um, so we, we, we don't know. I think we can definitely say that uh, things will not be uh, easy for wi- women. We are going to see some backtracking. The question is how much. And I think the international community can play a huge role in, in what that looks like and in uh, stemming the, the slide for women's rights in Afghanistan. Um, but I also want to mention that there are women that have targets on their back that need to get out of the country. So uh, there's a lot of efforts being put into getting those women who need to get out of the country um, uh, out. So I just wanted to make the point that that those efforts continue. Um, obviously, not uh, all the women will be able to get out. They'll be living in Afghanistan and have to, um, you know, stand up for their rights. And they certainly deserve the strong support of the international community. Uh, and as I said, it's the moral responsibility of the, the United States. The moral responsibility, the onus now on yes. the international community. Nishta Satyam, uh, the world should help us. That's what you're hearing from Afghani women uh, on, on, on Twitter. Uh, the onus now on organizations like, like the UN to help out. I think there's no denying that there's a complete moral responsibility uh, that the UN undertakes. I think the Secretary General has issued a statement in his despair and dismay at the reversal of rights. Uh, Again, I think the UN's sustained effort is to include women's uh, voices in peace negotiations. Uh, And ultimately, at this point in time, it is not just about uh, ensuring that women's rights are upheld, but it's also about women's voices. Uh, in that negotiation that's happening inside that country. And I think that's where the international uh, community must keep its pressure. The donor community must keep its pressure, particularly neighbors, I think, have a profound responsibility at this point in time to reach out and to ensure safety and security, access to mobility, access to work, uh, so many aspects that absolutely must You said neighbors have a responsibility. What is, uh, do you know, can you share with us what India is doing in this regard? I think it's too soon uh, and it's not my story to tell us uh, at this point. But what I can definitely say is that, uh, you know, the donor community, particularly countries that stand closest in terms of uh, geographical location, uh, proximity, have a, have, a, have a greater responsibility at this point in time to help, uh, if, not, if not just in negotiation, but in so many other ways mm. to ensure that people uh, are safe. Uh, India has, of course, had a very open policy uh, to our brothers and sisters from Afghanistan, and hopefully we will see that continue and blossom in the future to come. Uh, but really, at this point in time, uh, the one thing that we are reminded again is how quickly uh, the rights of women and girls can be reversed absolutely in almost no time. And I agree with Lisa, it's not so much about whether it will reverse. I think we all have an educated and informed of yes on that. 
but how much, how far are we going to go back in time? Where are we going to have to start uh, with? What is that point for us? And I think that's where we must, uh, you can only uphold uh, a regime against uh, something that they have committed to. So it is very important that this, at this point when negotiations are going on, uh, that the rights of women and girls are penciled in uh, and agreed with. Uh, and I think upholding is a process that will follow. Ironically, as uh, Amnesty, I think, has pointed out, there are no women representatives in, in, in these talks right. uh, as they take place. So there's somebody else speaking for the rights uh, of women. But you raised another issue about uh, uh, global donors. And let's bring in Mariam Vardak. She runs Her Afghanistan. That's an organization that works for the advancement of uh, women's rights, women's empowerment. It's a global online platform for professionals around the world to support Afghan women in in various fields. Uh, uh, Mariam, uh, uh, a catch-22 or a double, actually a double-edged sword right now, I think that's the correct word, because in the midst of all of this, uh, there are reports that donor countries to Afghanistan are also cutting back on funding, and that will mean it will affect programs that are vital for uh, women's rights on the ground? I've mentioned this numerous times. As soon as the physical withdrawal of foreign troops there is going to be a withdrawal of finance support and diplomatic presence. And we're seeing that right now. I think that the international community is not valuing how much the Afghan National Defense Security Forces have sacrificed for them. Um, leaving such in, in such a short, unannounced method and in such a chaotic way, causing more stress upon the Afghan people is just unhumane. Your speakers have mentioned uh, the fact, uh, and you've mentioned that there are no female presence. The blame does not only go uh, on the international community, the blame also falls on the people of Afghanistan and the Afghan government. When the delegation was sent to Doha and the de delegation was created, there was very little noise about how many women were there mm. and the type of conversations that were taking place. Right now, what is taking over the media is what will happen to the women. So if that, if that is so important, why did we not raise our concern back then? From day one, wherever I have spoken, I have mentioned that the, number, the, the delegation should have been all women and they should have been religious Islamic scholars. Islamic scholars are the only ones who can hold theological arguments mm. to uphold a woman's status in society. Fascinating. Very, very interesting point. Uh, Heather Rar, we're getting reports on the ground already. I'm not sure if these can be confirmed, but I think Reuters was reporting that uh, uh, women employees working in banks in Afghanistan have been told in some banks uh, to go home and that they can be replaced by male uh, employees. Are these the reports uh, that you're hearing too on the ground? So I haven't seen that specific report, but over the last two months since the U.S. announced its withdrawal, we've heard a lot of reports from around the country about similar things happening um, with women being told that they are no longer allowed to work. They're no longer allowed to leave the house without a mafaram, a male family member. Um, we've been hearing reports from even further back about um, NGO workers um, who have women employees, NGOs that have women employees being told that they need to replace those women with male employees. So I, I think this is a, a very clear example among several examples of a situation where the Taliban's rhetoric does not match their actions on the ground. And that indicates either that they can't control 
their local commanders or that, um, you know, their, their rhetoric is just that rhetoric and they don't actually intend to comply um, with, with what they're saying when it comes to, to day-to-day operations. Pashtana Durrani, uh, we've already been seeing some attacks over the past few weeks and months on female journalists and other high-profile uh, women. Uh, there was, you know, this back and forth between the government and uh, the Taliban, this who done it, both pointing fingers uh, at each other. But is there an increased fear of uh, working women, especially women journalists? Because right now, uh, it's, it's a question of narrative. Whose narrative can be spread uh, the world over? See, if you have to listen to the narrative, maybe listen to the narrative of the Afghan women rather than the government or the Taliban, right? Because it's their narrative that matters, right? And the second thing is, yeah, the women, uh, I come from Kandar and the women were from Kandar. They were from Azizi Bank and they were asked to go home and send in someone from their families to fill in for their uh, for them. So that's the second thing. When it comes to journalists and um, women NGO workers or in any field other than the healthcare workers and they have been asked to stop and they have been asked to like you know go back home and it's not allowed or whatever but then again it's not just right now the government's narrative that we have to see that in the past two months if the women were dying why what was the reason behind it and if the Taliban were saying if we are not targeting them who was then targeting them see one thing we for sure have to understand that women of Afghanistan their futures have been traded in a war between two men, right? Uh, the government, they were, it was all led by men and the Taliban, it is led by men. There were no women in this both groups, right? Right now you see Ghani meeting Ghani. Mula brother is a Ghani and uh, President Ghani was Ghani. President Ghani had corruptly, uh, corrupt uh, technocrats in his group. Uh, he enabled them, his ministers were corrupt and he didn't stop them, right? We could have built a very good army. We could have built a very good political institution but they didn't do it in the past two decades so they are there to be blamed for uh, 50% and then at the same time Taliban should realize one thing a country cannot progress without its women. If you are asking 50% of women who are engineers, doctors, journalists, teachers to sit at home just because you feel like it's not going to help in, uh, with your ideology, it's not going to help you build your country. It's not going to help you financially stabilize your country. You have to look at country economically, right? So uh, if you're going to ask the girls to educate themselves in Islamic or religious studies, then what about their professions? What are they going to become? What about the representation of Afghan women? If they are not going to be in the parliament, if they cannot vote, then what about their voices? What about the specific needs that they have right now, right? So these are all sort of different things that you have to think about, about the narrative right now that Afghan women have. The rural women lost all their men. They are not skilled. They are not educated. They have to abandon their house in the past three weeks because of the Taliban offensive or the government offensive and now the Taliban are asking them to go back but they cannot do anything like for example I, I met a girl she was selling potatoes uh, post three days of her uh, husband dying right can she do that right now she was feeding her husband uh, has uh, her children right she cannot do that right now so we have to understand that narratives and on the ground differ from that of 
the people on uh, in the ruling class and i don't care if it's president ghani leading the country or mula brother leading the country as long as the uh, essential vital um, what do we call the women rights and political rights are ensured and i know there are few things that you can give up on for example the blue burqa it's not a big deal every woman can wear it it's not a big deal right but you asking a girl that she should stop learning from general curriculum or stop going to a school that's not right that's not uh, acceptable if you are asking women not to vote that's not right so you have to understand what are our priorities and what are not and this i can say for myself and the family that i have grown up in and the district that i come from women are willing to give up on some things that are like you know uh, that we think are too out of our cultural context but not everything that we have gained not all the educational rights that we have right now not the mobility rights i don't want to be around a man who is literally like my dead limb so that he can mobilize me i don't want that for once the people have to understand that afghan women their voices matter and we have to understand the ground realities that a country cannot be stable without its 50% if they are not working we are not saudi we are not other gulf countries we don't have oil we need financial stability we need people in offices we need people working we need women working so that's all that's uh, that's not all that's actually everything because uh, you clearly made it clear that there are gains that have been made when it comes to women's rights women are empowered there are women like you if i mean in in urban areas uh, and that's one of the biggest accomplishments of the 20 years of the us led forces uh, being deployed in afghanistan i'm going to try um, uh, aziza once again aziza sadat if i can if we if if we can hear you i'd just like to give you uh, give you the last word you're a woman journalist women journalists have been targeted uh, have you received any kind of such messaging from from the taliban what would you like to say on the show tonight to anyone listening hi ma'am uh, sorry for that exceptions uh, according to uh, christian uh, my son is uh, they are very scared people are very scared what's going to happen to them uh, on the taliban agenda as Taliban will torture and kill women who were active and supportive of women's rights or work for government of Afghanistan. Um, and women who work for in the foreign NGOs. Afghan women worked very hard for over 20 years and achieved a lot. We had women work in parliament, governmental office, journalists, and many other uh, capacities. It is disheartening to see this woman stay at home doing nothing. Mm. Well, our thoughts are with the women uh, and uh, the girls of Afghanistan tonight. Two decades of hard-won progress by Afghanistan's women and girls at serious risk of being unraveled, says Amnesty International. It is important, it is essential to keep supporting women's rights in Afghanistan right now. This is not the time to walk away. Thank you all for joining us tonight on We The People. Bye-bye.